Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Last weekend, the film world mourned the loss of the actor, writer, producer, and member of one of Hollywood's most prominent families, Peter Fonda. Fifty years ago, he, Dennis Hopper, and Jack Nicholson changed movies forever with the outlaw, hippie, counterculture classic, Easy Rider. You know, this used to be a hell of a good country. I can't understand what's going on with it. Man, everybody got chicken, that's what happened to Hey, we can't even get into, like, a second-rate hotel. I mean, a second-rate motel, you dig? Don't they think we're going to cut their throat or something, man? They're scared, man. Oh, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Amen. Oh, we represent to them, man, as somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, no. What you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about, all right. But talking about it and being it, that's two different things. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you are bought and sold in the marketplace. I would have been thinking about Easy Rider anyway this week because it was released during the interregnum between the two halves of Quentin Tarantino's new film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The first section takes place in February 1969 and the second almost exactly 50 years ago in August 1969 when Hollywood and the world was rocked by the Manson family murders of Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring and the rest of the people at 10,050 Cielo Drive in Laurel Canyon. In between, NASA put an astronaut on the moon. Kurt Vonnegut published Slaughterhouse-Five. Captain Beefheart released Trout Mask Replica. And, as I mentioned, Easy Rider premiered at Cannes. I sometimes wish I was around in 1969, and then I remember that I actually was. We'll get back to the Manson family in a minute, but I want to finish paying tribute to Peter Fonda, who never quite got his due as a director, but who was enormously influential behind the scenes as Hollywood creativity transitioned away from European World War II émigré directors like Billy Wilder and Fritz Lang to film school graduates like Coppola and Scorsese. And it gives me a chance to recall a line from British film critic Barry Norman, who, when describing the famously chilly relationship that superstar father Henry had with his children Peter and Jane, he called it a case of Fonda making the heart grow absent. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick Stutt Double Cliff Booth. 
So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's ninth feature film, as the trailers loudly remind you, and it is his most relaxed. He's indulging something else this time, not the virtuoso screenplay trickery, but a personal nostalgia for old Hollywood and the Los Angeles he himself grew up in. The film centres on a fading star of TV westerns, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his stunt double gopher, sidekick and paid best buddy Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. Dalton was a star in the 50s on a show called Bounty Law, but he's now reduced to playing Villain of the Week on shows like FBI. He's still earning enough to pay Cliff to drive him around, but he can see where things are headed. When producer Marvin Schwarz, a cameo from Al Pacino, says he can set him up in some spaghetti westerns, Dalton feels like this might be the end of the line. Someone should have told him that by this point Sergio Leone had taken Clint Eastwood, an actor from TV's Rawhide, and turned him into an international star. He's not getting the best advice, our Rick, but he's also not in great shape to take it. Last night we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Crown you Nazi bastard! <laughs> Dalton lives on Cielo Drive. I told you we'd get back there. Right next door, in fact, to Sharon Tate and her husband, the Polish director of Rosemary's Baby, Roman Polanski. Both Rick and Cliff can see that artists like Polanski are the next generation, but they both know that their kind of acting isn't likely to be needed in this new world. There's a lovely moment, in fact, when Brad Pitt as Cliff takes his shirt off while he's on the roof fixing Rick's TV aerial, uh, but he gives a sly look at the Polanski-Tate house before he does it. He isn't taking his shirt off for us, generous in that department though he may be. He's taking it off to possibly, maybe, attract the attention of someone who might give him a better job. Effortlessly cool though Cliff may be, the calm head whenever Rick loses his, it's clear that he could do with a change of fortune, living in a trailer beside a drive-in with only a beloved pooch named Brandy for company. We don't know much about him, but there are rumours. He might have been a war hero. He might have killed his wife and gotten away with it. Either way, Rick Dalton is the best option he's got. Just, just look, just, just, just put him in the wardrobe, all right? What's it going to hurt? Then if you need him, you got him, all right? <laughs> then they got to have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant. And, man, she's a bitch. I just don't. Right, please. Look, look Randy, I'm asking you to help me out, man. If the, if the answer's no, the, the answer's no. Not, not no with excuses. Hey, man. This ain't a... Andy McLaughlin picture, you know. And I can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that I might use them. I got a four-man team here, Rick. Do I need more than that? I got to get it approved. And, you know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that's not the case, and you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. So throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just happy for the opportunity. 
Rick? Yeah. I don't dig him. And I don't dig the vibe he brings on a set. Anyway, driving around a beautifully recreated vintage Los Angeles, running errands for his boss and best friend, Cliff picks up a young hitchhiker named Pussycat, played by Andy McDowell's daughter Margaret Qualley. And you'd have to say that that apple hasn't fallen very far from the tree, but I digress. Pussycat takes Cliff to Sparn Ranch, where he and Rick had shot Bounty Law all those years ago. It's now full of strange young people, who we later discover are the Manson family. Now, if you don't know much about that whole Manson tragic period, it's not essential to your enjoyment of the picture. But if you don't, you will want to do some reading up about it afterwards, and then you're going to want to see the film all over again. Are you some old cowboy guy that used to make movies there? Whoa. <laughs> what? I'm surprised how accurate that description of me really is. Some old cowboy guy that used to shoot movies at Spawn Ranch. So he used to... Make westerns at the ranch back in the old timey days. Well, if by the old timey days you mean television eight years ago, yeah. Are you an actor? No, I'm a stuntman. Stuntman. That's way better. Why is that way better? Actors are phony. Oh. They just say lines that other people write and pretend to murder people on their stupid TV shows. Meanwhile, real people are being murdered every day in Vietnam. While Cliff is encountering the dirty hippies in the canyon, Rick is trying hard to hold it together as the villain on a Western TV pilot called Lancer. The director of Lancer is the real director Sam Wanamaker, although he's played in the film by Nicholas Hammond, who in a former life was one of the Von Trapp children in The Sound of Music, one of many delicious details that Tarantino makes possible for us to enjoy. In later life, Sam Wanamaker went on to build the replica of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London. So when he describes DiCaprio as Dalton, as the Lancer villain, as evil Hamlet, that's high praise indeed. Rick Dalton. Sam Wanamaker. Hey, Sam. Sorry about the wet hand. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm used to it with you. I just want you to know I'm the one who cast you, and I could not be more delighted that you're doing this. Oh, well, well, thank you, Sam. I, I appreciate it. That's a good part. Yeah, it is. Have you met Jim Stacy, the series lead? Uh, not yet. No, no. Well, you guys are going to be dynamite together. Mm, mm. Well, it's... Sounds exciting. Yeah, lightning in a bottle. <laughs> now, Rick, about your hair. Oh, what about my hair? I want to go with a different hairstyle. Huh. What? Something more hippie-ish. You, 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 you want me to look like a hippie? <laughs> well, think less hippie, more <coughs> hell's angel. Rum, rum. Say, uh, Get me say, Sam, Sam, uh, <coughs> you got me covered up in all this, uh, this... <coughs> junk. Uh, how's the audience going to know it's me? I hope they don't. Mm. I love that line about DiCaprio's hair there because I've always found it to be an improbably quaffed distraction in every film I've seen him in. Even more so than your average Tarantino movie, there's so much to talk about here. It's genuinely funny at times and Pitt especially gets to show off his goofiness as well as his tough guy persona. Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate is delightful. There are detours that seem to be there just to indulge Tarantino's fetish for the period, but they're also there to reinforce his theme. 
that this was a world that was coming to an end, and it's a world that he was very fond of. Every transition has winners and losers, and I think there's probably a counter case to be made for the retirement of dinosaurs like Rick Dalton and stale television shows like Bounty, Law and Lancer. I think the thing that I want to talk about most before I end with a recommendation that you see it, and that you see it on a big screen with great sound, is that this is, I think, the third Tarantino film out of the last four to consciously rewrite history so that we get a happy ending. In Inglorious Bastards, a Parisian cinema owner incinerates the entire German high command, thereby changing the direction of World War II, actually ending it probably. In Django Unchained, a freed slave destroys the plantation where his wife had been held captive. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood plays similar games with history, recreating as much of the world as accurately as possible, but also tweaking real life to make it, you know, better. I can understand why that frustrates literalists, but, to be honest, I don't know why more directors don't do it. It's so satisfying to watch. One, please. 75 cents. What if I'm in the movie? What do you mean? I mean, I'm in the movie. I'm Sharon Tate. You're in this? Mm Mm-hmm. I play Miss Carlson, the Klutz. That's me. (laughs) But that's the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Well, that's me, the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Really? Really. (sighs) Hey, Reuben, come out here. This is the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Patty Duke? No, the other one. The girl from Peyton Place? No, the other one. The one who ends up doing dirty movies. Oh. She's in this movie. Oh. Sharon Tate. Well, welcome to the Bruin, Miss Tate. Thank you for coming to our theater. Would you like to come in and see the show? Could I? By all means. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is rated an entirely justified R16 for graphic violence, drug use, offensive language and sexual material, and it's playing all over New Zealand now.